Well, hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Hyperion Adventures podcast. I'm Tom. As always, I'm with my beautiful, gorgeous, outstanding, Rogue One-loving <laughs> wife, Michelle. Thank you, sweetie. You're the best. Hi, everybody. So good to have you with us. We are recording this episode on Sunday, July 28th, 2019. Wrapping up July, heading into I August. Know. It's incredible, right? It Absolutely. Hard to believe. Year is flying by. Thank you for joining us today. In the future, you can find us most everywhere you get podcasts. Best place to find us, however, is on our own website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. And I have added a new element to HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. We are going to be starting a weekly newsletter coming up soon. So please, if you have, if you care about listening to us or getting more from us at all, I know we give you so much every week and too much, many would say, but um, we would love for you to sign up for our newsletter so we can uh, send some things your way. Yeah, and we're looking forward to having some really fun and exciting things and kind of expanding on some of the things that we talk about on the show and mm-hmm. giving a little bit more in-depth and useful tips. Exactly, and you know, some uh, you'll be some of the first to hear about any uh, giveaways we may be doing, any events we have coming up, uh, lots of stuff. We also may have eventually some merchandise for sale, but uh, you also will be the way for us to share any information with you, our most loyal of our listeners. Exactly. So, uh, by the way, also you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartMedia, lots of places. If there is a location where you normally listen to podcasts, that you don't find us, let us know. We want to get on that spot. Right, exactly. And we also really like this to be an interactive uh, podcast. So we do love to hear from all of you. Uh, We're very active on social media, uh, as well as you can reach out to us on our Gmail account, which is uh, Hyperion Adventures Podcast at gmail.com. But as I mentioned, we're very active on social media and we love to interact with people. Sometimes we put out their questions that we include your comments on our shows. And sometimes we just love to get that feedback. Yeah. We're going to have some of those coming up in the near future. You can always find us socially on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. By the way, we continued our virtual, virtual five, hashtag virtual, virtual 5K this morning with several other podcasts and bloggers. We had fun out running the second leg, the Iron Man leg of yes. the Run Disney Virtual 5K. We are out there this morning with Jenny from Disney DNA Podcast, right. who we were just talking to on last week's exactly. episode. Uh, Tony from Disney Discussions Podcast, uh, DVC, Nate and Serena from DVC Duo were out there with us. And surprise, we didn't even expect this to be happening, but Keenan and Rachel from Part of Our World Podcast joined us this week. They will be joining us officially for our next leg of our hashtag virtual, virtual 5K in August. Yeah, it's been really fun getting that interaction with everybody. And for those of you who have done the Run Disney Virtual Series uh, already, we'd love to hear from you and how how it went and you know how did you celebrate your virtual uh, race right yeah if you so if you uh, we're out running at any time for these virtual 5Ks anytime. Uh, you can post your pictures, post them with the hashtag virtual virtual 5K, uh, and we'll be happy to retweet those, get those out there. And then uh, we don't have a date yet for next month when we're going to do the final leg of this. But as soon as we know that, uh, we will send it out there. And hopefully, you know, you can hashtag virtually virtually join us <laughs> right. out uh, as we go out and run the what is the Black Panther right. leg. Exactly. Yeah. 
So that's going to be a lot of fun. And I know that actually there's some special uh, ways to get that uh, Black Panther medal at the D23 Expo, which is coming up here. And gosh, it's so soon. I know. Less Less than than one month. Yeah. Uh, It's coming up before you know it. And we're so excited for that. But let's get back to today. Lots of stuff for you today, including there's a new reservation process beginning for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at the Disneyland Resort. We now know when holiday festivities will be kicking off at the happiest place on Earth. Mm -hmm. And Disney passes yet another box office milestone. But let's get to today's main topic. Yes, We're please. so excited <laughs> please. about this one. We're continuing our Star Wars Remembered series. And this is, I know, you, I don't know if it's your favorite Star Wars film, but it's definitely it's pretty, right yeah, up there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Michelle yeah. has been excited about this for a long time. Let's get to our Star Wars Remembered series. This week, it's Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Whatever I do, I do it to protect you. So you understand? I understand. You want to get out of here? Our rebellion is all that remains to push back the Empire. You think you might be able to help us? When was the last time you were in contact with your father? What is this? It appears he is critical to the development of a super weapon. If my father built this thing, we need to find him. All right. How many do I need? They are requesting a call sign. It's, um, Rogue. Rogue One. The power that we are dealing with here is immeasurable. If the Empire has this kind of power, what chance do we have? We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make 10 men feel like a hundred we'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you save the rebellion save the dream So yes, we're continuing our Star Wars Remembered series, and we are so excited about this one. I know specifically Michelle is, yeah. for sure. Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and as always with our Star Wars Remembered series, we bring on our good, great, wonderful friend, Rob LeBerry from the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Rob, thanks again for joining us this time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It sounded like I got a promotion there in that uh, in the middle of that interview. <laughs> Well deserved. Yes. <laughs> You're our go-to expert. That's right. I actually, I have two or three other experts here that just feed me this information and make me look good. <laughs> nice. So. Perfect. It's like you got your own staff back there, your own imperial <laughs> troops helping you out. Right. 
So yeah, if you don't, if you this is the first time you're hearing our Star Wars Remembered series, we've been kind of going back and looking back because obviously that we're ending the Skywalker saga in December with the rise of Skywalker. So we decided that we'd go back and look at all the Star Wars films in chronicle in a chronological. In chronological order, it's easy for me to say, uh, leading back as as it would play out within the Star Wars universe. So if you want to go back and listen to some of our previous episodes, we went all the way through the prequels. We Last month we did Solo, A Star Wars Story, and now it's Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. And we are very excited about this one, especially Michelle and Rob are very excited about this one because... I love Rogue One. They love <laughs> Rogue One. So uh, I expect to sit back and relax and let them talk about sure. how much they enjoy this film. What are we talking about? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, this is... Same this, old story. Right? Now, this has been really exciting working up to this one. Um, it is such an awesome film. It's a pivotal film, in my little mm-hmm. opinion. Mm-hmm. Rob, what do you think? Uh, it's actually my second favorite Star Wars film of all of them. So uh, right behind Empire Strikes Back. So, uh, you know, obviously I have pretty strong feelings about this film. I think it's uh, there's a lot of things about it that make it very special. And we'll kind of get into that as we get into the detailed portion of the show. Yes. Yeah, so let's get to it. So Rogue One, a Star Wars story debuted in the United States on December 16th in of 2016 it debuted actually in europe a couple days before that and then in china about a little less than a month after that uh the pre-release for this film as far as the hype uh, there was a teaser trailer for rogue one that was released by lucasfilm on april 7th of 2016 trailer was viewed by close to 30 close to 30 million times in its first 29 hours at a rate of 800,000 views per hour we're in such a different age as far as these trailers and them being out there on youtube and facebook and etc and Twitter and everything else. Uh, in June 2016, Rogue One was promoted at the Star Wars Celebration Europe 3 event in London. Uh, during that event, a new official poster was unveiled, which depicts a battle taking place on, of course, the tropical planet Scarif. And I think that actually many of the posters afterwards had Scarif in the background of it quite a bit. Uh, with the Death Star looming large in a blue sky of above which was uh, printed the tagline a rebellion built on hope and they also debuted a second teaser trailer which was unveiled and screened just exclusively for the celebration audience and not streamed online it did eventually hit uh, publicly in august during the broadcast of the 2016 summer olympics uh, so that was those were in rio right. and i remember you know was there anything more exciting in the olympics than of course a rogue one trailer <laughs> dropping now the interesting thing about these trailers and i, I think you guys will remember this is that the trailers showed a lot of footage that once we actually got to the film didn't exactly exist <laughs> in the film there were some things that were kind of close to it but not exactly right do you remember that michelle yes i do i do it was pretty you know i mean like you're saying reflecting on it afterwards it was interesting that there was quite a lot of things that were um didn't i don't I, what what do you say cut on left on the cutting room floor, cutting room floor yeah. or something or it was just to throw us off i don't know yeah. <laughs> rob do you remember the teaser trailers and kind of the footage that kind of disappeared <laughs> Absolutely. I think the most iconic was uh, the the shot of Jenner or so kind of walking out on the catwalk at the top of the tower there at Scarif and uh, the TIE fighter kind of slowly rising to to take her in its aim. And, you know, when we got to the film, she she didn't exactly have that same experience <laughs> no, she got no. out there. She was able to realign the dish. And it wasn't until after that that the uh, that the TIE came along and 
almost took out that catwalk. Right. Okay. There was it was quite a bit different in that scene, and that was the scene in the trailer that gave me chills. I was like, oh, how's that going to play out? Well, unfortunately, never we never saw it. But there were reasons behind that. And we're going to get into that as we go through our description, our, our our details behind this film. Another scene that was cut that was a famous one. It was it, it's Jin. And I believe it was Cassian as well, running across the Scarif beaches with the plans, you know, in their hands, you know, going. And that obviously was cut out because they did things in a different way through the film. So interesting. Uh, This was the first. Of course, we did this last week where we did Solo, A Star Wars Story, which was the second standalone Star Wars film. This was the first standalone Star Wars film. So interesting enough. Uh, Also, it's the first Star Wars film without John Williams providing the score for it, Michael Giacchino stepped mm-hmm. in, took over. I know Rob has a lot to say about that. He's been excited to tell us all about <laughs> it. So we're looking forward to hearing from you about that, Rob. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So uh, we get to the cast, and I'm going to tell you what. This cast, it, to me, is magnificent. Some of the characters, uh, the, these outside of like the original trilogy characters... Uh, these characters may be my favorite within the entire Star Wars right. universe. I don't know what you think, Michelle. Oh, definitely. I, you know, um, it shows a lot more depth in relationships and a lot more complexity. Even though you may not know the origin stories of some of these things, you could just tell that what they went through to get to where they were, you know, at the time of the film um, was pretty deep. Mm-hmm. You know. There's no question. There was a lot of character development, some interesting, in just a couple of days, essentially, of what happened there. I mean, several right. years from the beginning of the film to the end, but within the, the actual main plot line, uh, just a few days. Rob, are you, what, what are your feelings on the characters for Rogue One? Yeah, I mean, the cool thing about this particular film is that with an ensemble cast uh, and only one film to really develop those characters and make the viewers have an attachment to them. I thought they did an incredible job. Um, you actually cared what happened to them by the end of the film. Right. Uh, at least for me, I know there were people that complained that they really didn't, didn't have that connection. But for me, I, the more I watch it, the more I realized that all the little subtle things that they did to kind of connect you to those characters were very effective. Uh, and you know, I, I thought that they all did an excellent job of kind of carrying their own pieces the story and together it really made up an incredible Star Wars story. I agreed. I yes. find I found the characters very relatable in all in different ways. Right. Uh, the way they were. It was uh, very incredible, Michelle. Right. And, and like you said, Rob, I mean, they were characters that you really, you know, became very interested in and, you know, it was, they were, I don't want to say likable in the sense that they were all likable, but they were all interesting and riveting. And, and I felt very engaged with wanting to know what was going to happen with them. And, you know, there was some friendships there that were like, oh my gosh, those were, you know, so deep. And so, um, I don't know how to describe it. They, they were, you wanted everybody there to succeed mm-hmm. and, it was yeah you want they were worth there are people worth rooting for right yeah. yeah definitely no question about that so let's go through the cast here felicity jones came off of her academy award nomination for the theory of everything to, to play jen urso who strong female protagonist uh you know you could tell her allegiances shift throughout it you know from looking out for mostly herself at one point because that's what she kind of had to do to where she had to kind of look out for the whole group and fulfilling what her father had set in motion essentially i i found her character to be fascinating absolutely she you know she she did great carrying it um you i didn't find any flaws in her character in how she portrayed it you know it just 
you believed everything that she presented to you at the in that film, you know. And um, it, interesting to see how somebody could regain some of their, you know, bases, their beliefs from childhood when they were, you know, in essence, could have felt very abandoned in her situation. Yeah, exactly right. Rob, your thought on Jen Urso, Felicity Jones? Yeah, I thought that her character was really well portrayed. I thought that um, kind of her loner mentality and and the fact that she was kind of emotionally stunted, I guess, to some degree, um, tied in very well with the fact that, you know, she lost both her parents for all intents and purposes early in the film. And, uh, you know, then the only group of people that she had any attachment to with Saw Gerrera's rebels uh, also having abandoned her. So, you know, it it really is what led into uh, the thing that you mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, that um, very similar scenario to what Cassian was experiencing and really that uh, scene between the two of them. In the Imperial shuttle after the attack on Edu, uh, where Jen actually did lose her father the mm-hmm. final time, um, you know, and Cassian's basically saying, you know, you're not the only one who's lost everything. Some of us just chose to do something about it. That really was the dichotomy between their two characters. They they really had both lost everything. And, um, you know, whereas she was kind of just keeping her head down and looking out for herself, uh, he had attached himself to the cause. Yeah. Completely right, agree. Exactly. Uh, speaking of Cassian Andor, he's played by uh, Diego Luna in another uh, masterful job. And I, I'm so excited for the series that's going to be coming to Disney Plus here to see more of him because I thought he was fantastic. Showing that kind of gray area, you know, he's kind of an espionage guy, an intelligence guy, um, you know, and that he... he not everybody on the Imperial side was completely 100% evil and not everybody on the Rebel side was completely 100% good or at least not beyond right. doing some things that they needed to do f- to fulfill the co- the cause. And I thought he filled that role at me. <laughs> Wonderfully. Let's do it that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with you that... Um he that I, I think of all the characters, this is one that, like I said, you want to find his origin story. You want to know all the things that he had to face throughout his life to be able to carry out some of the uncomfortable orders that he was provided throughout this story. Yeah, Rob, your thought. I know you've already mentioned a little bit about Cassian, but uh, any more thoughts on him? Uh, no, I mean, I thought it was an excellent performance. I love his character. I'm so excited that he's going to have a series coming to Disney+. Plus. Um, it, we don't exactly have a release date for that yet. I'm hopeful that there's going to be some of that information released at D23 uh, later this month. But uh, certainly Cassian is a great character. Um, his tie to K2SO, who is another favorite of uh, both myself and I believe Michelle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and probably most people that watch this. I mean, you really can't go wrong with Alan Tudyk. But um before we jump into that character, uh, you know, Cassian, the, again, the cool thing about Cassian and the way that the rebels were in general portrayed within this film is exactly as Tom said, uh, it's it's now the varying shades of gray. It's no longer black or white. And this is really kind of Star Wars band of brothers, I guess, mm-hmm. um, is right. what I equated to. Very good point. Very good point. Uh, let's go ahead and go to K2SO next. Alan Tudyk uh, kind of continuing to be, you know, he was already a Whedonverse icon, uh, you know, being in Firefly and Dollhouse, among other uh, Joss Whedon shows. And then, of course, he became kind of a Disney icon doing the voice of King Candy and uh, the Duke of Weaselton <laughs> and among, and Hey Hey, among other things. Uh, then he comes in. Now he's a Star Wars icon playing K2SO. <laughs> So who I find 
fascinating. And, you know, I kind of, I was thinking about it as I was rewatching this again, uh, rewatching again <laughs> yesterday. And uh, he is almost, if you were to take C3PO and R2D2 and like mesh them together into one thing, it, it kind of reminds me of what you might think of K2SO. You know, he, he always he's willing to give you the stats he's willing to speak his mind but he's also irreverent you know and i kind of feel even though you don't hear that specifically from r2d2 if you could hear the language that he's speaking if you could understand right. the language he's speaking i think it'd be kind of similar to well of what k2so does it a lot throughout this yeah i think i would put wally in that mix too <laughs> wally. <laughs> we're gonna bring pixar into this we just mentioned well um things. mainly because you can see throughout the film that that k2so does have a heart you know and i know some of the things that you know where he just spurts out what he thinks due to his programming but when he does things like you know apologize for hitting cassian mm-hmm. and um you know some things like that where you feel like okay wait a minute he that was more than just a programming thought that was a, a feeling Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes it, you know, that's where I would put the Wally part. I got gotcha. him. I got gotcha. <laughs> Rob, your thoughts on K2SO? No, I think K2SO is my favorite uh, robot in all of Star Wars and really in all of movies. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, he is just for me the perfect character. Um, he it was hilarious first and foremost, mm-hmm, right. but you know, he, he also, again, star Wars, star Wars is at its best when it is making you connect with characters. And one of the things that they've always done a great job of, uh, and we talked about a little bit where I felt let down by that within solo is that the droids have personalities and mm-hmm. you attach to them just as much as any of the other characters in the film. And, um, K2SO, uh, I would, I would take K2SO, uh, in my house any day of the right? week. Yes. Um, just such a great character yeah. and, and funny and mm-hmm. uh, clearly had, uh, you know, the desire to look out for Cassian. And uh, you could feel his relationship with Jen kind of grow throughout the mm-hmm. film exactly. as well. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, um, you know, he put their needs ahead of his, you know, especially in the end. Um You know, and you could tell that, you know, kind of like Cassian, he had to do some things that you could tell he may not have wanted to do, you know, finding a map. Right. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, he's such a great character. And I'm another thing I'm so excited that he will be included in the Cassian Andor series on uh, Disney Plus because I, I just can't get enough K2SO for sure. And I know you guys uh, feel the same way. Michelle is always heartbroken <laughs> about the fact that K2SO apologizes to Cassian many times throughout the film. <laughs> Cassian, like. Just go. Right? I know. You know? <laughs> you know. Doesn't show any appreciation. I think for he K2 does, but he doesn't, you know, it's like, it's okay. You just want to hear him say, it's okay, K2SO. I love you. <laughs> there is a reason I want to drag you two to the void, and I'm not saying any more than that. All right. All right. There's a reason nice. I want you to experience that. Nice. Yes. Uh, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to doing that. Maybe yeah. when you're down here in uh, Southern California and Disneyland here, and we, we will take a, a downtown Disney genre. Exactly. Jaunt and, uh, do the there that twist uh, my arm yes, yeah right no i'm sure of it i'm sure of it uh moving on through the cast uh ben mendelson playing director orson krennic i i thought was a uh, you know just an awesome sort of bad guy you know it's, it's kind of a go-between between tarkin and and 
and also interesting in the fact that yeah, I, I think he obviously was doing evil things. He was planning evil things, but I don't think he was planning it to just to do evil per se. As whereas I think some of these imperials that you're used to, you're used to seeing them doing evil things. You know, right. this is he wanted order, but he, more than anything else, he wanted to advance within the right. in, the empire itself to 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 progress to be a more important person within it and so i think many of us can relate to that in many regards not going to the lengths he went of course <laughs> but in many regards of trying to do these things and find and the, the, do and find a way to advance within your industry michelle right i agree i don't think he was intentionally always trying to be bad I, like you said he he was aspiring to be successful and to like you said continue to advance and you know i think putting him on another side and he would have been as successful um, at that and would have been able to see the need to, you know, it really promote and work towards getting any either side that he would be on. Mm -hmm. I just think that he's that. And maybe I'm saying that a little bit because I took the StarWars.com quiz ah. on what Rogue One character I was. Are you Orson Krennic? I am. Oh my I goodness. <laughs> I was like, what? And then I thought, well, well, he was smart. He was strategic. I will say, <laughs> j just like him, your cape game is on point. I know, right? So, I think outside of Lando Calrissian, Orson Critic may have had the best That's capes right. in Star Wars. Yes. So, uh, Rob, your thoughts on Orson Critic? Uh, yeah, I had a lot of things to say about Orson Krennic, but now that I found out Michelle tested as him, uh, I think I'm just going to hold my tongue. No, no, go for it, go for it. I'm no, okay. No, <laughs> no. I mean, he played he played the perfect uh, kind of sycophantic uh, ladder climbing. You know, just it, like you said, it wasn't evil for the sake of evil. It was him trying to advance his personal career, and he was willing to do any and everything that it took to get there. Um, I think probably his big contribution to the entire film apart from uh, being the director of the Death Star project or Project Stardust is uh, the awesome Death Troopers uh, that mm -hmm. got introduced right. as his personal guard in this film um, so again if they gave the rest of the Stormtroopers the uh, marksmanship training that those guys had it might have <laughs> been a different a different result in the original trilogy. Right. That's true. He also has one of my favorite uh, gifts, gifs of all time. Oh, oh. Yeah. It's beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for sure you were going to say deploy the garrison. Yeah, that one's good too. That one's good too. But I, I thought he was excellent and just just a great sort of bad guy, but kind of that guy you can, the best bad guys to me are guys you can kind of understand right. why they're yes. doing what they're doing. And I think he fit that role totally. Uh, Donnie Yen played Chirut Imwe. And I'm talking about another one of my favorite characters mm -hmm. that I could see a standalone story about him. His backstory as well. Uh, he's a guardian of the will, um, but you know, just an interesting guy. A you know, a, really just someone who struck the right tone in the right place. Kind of filled that role because this is another film that doesn't have. I mean, although Jedi are mentioned, obviously, with Jedha mm -hmm. being one of the ma main sources of their kyber crystals and, and such. Uh, the that kind of filled that force wielder's role, even though he wasn't really a true force wielder. He just was kind of in touch with the force. I think you'd agree that uh, just another awesome character. Right, definitely. Just another awesome character. But I think he was the yin and yang of his buddy. And I think mm -hmm. you really kind of, when you're talking about him or thinking about him, the two of them, how they played together, how they supported each other um, is also a, an important aspect of 
of either of those characters. No question. They cared about each other. made you care about them right, much exactly. more. Uh, Rob, your thoughts on Sherrod Amway? Well, first, I totally agree with what uh, you guys said about the fact that they clearly had a very deep relationship. And that was kind of one of the things that was so cool about the character development is that even though you didn't get to see what brought these people together, even in their small groups that they were in prior to being united under Jen, uh, you could definitely sense that they had a long history, that they were very close, etc. I don't know that I would say that Donnie Yen's character, uh, Chirrut, was not a force wielder per se. I just I kind of look at that character as um, you know there's going to be people who are force sensitive that get brought into the Jedi Order and for whatever reason they may not uh, pan out in terms of being Jedi material they may not have the level of force sensitivity or the level of uh, control to be able to become a full Jedi and you know to with with the way that the force uh, worked through him kind of in this film mm-hmm. um, and some of the skills that he displayed you know with his um Uh, with his energy weapon that he was able to shoot down a TIE fighter with. I mean, he couldn't see clearly, but he was seeing through the force. So I I think that he had enough force sensitivity to be able to manipulate the force or have the force work through him in some small way, uh, just not necessarily to a Jedi level extent. Um, So that's kind of my take on him. And I think he's got one of the best lines in the movie when they throw the hood over his head. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I'm blind. I can't tell you how many times we've watched this film and it still cracks me up every (laughs) single time. Uh, Yeah, um, I I sort of agree with you, Rob. I mean, it's hard. I think it's kind of innocuous. You don't really know for sure. I mean, you can make assumptions to it all. There's no real proof that he is using the force in that way. But if nothing else, he definitely is very in touch with it. He has complete faith in it. Um, He's as in touch with it as anybody who is not a Jedi that we've seen, I would think, in the films. But uh, um, whether or not, whether he was a true force user, force wielder, force sensitive or not, still just a fascinating, fascinating character. This sounds like we have a a potential debate episode here Mm -hmm. to do between (laughs) the two of you guys. (laughs) No, I mean, I think we're, I think we're more or less in the same spot. I mean, there are a couple of signs with him that he's able to uh, do more than a, a normal guardian of the will might be able to do. Just, you know, he can sense the kyber crystal around Jin's neck before, mm-hmm. you know, he has any way to know about that. And really, it's that, I mean, he shoots a couple of uh, stormtroopers on Scarif, but it's that shot on Edu where he takes out the TIE fighter at just the right time mm-hmm. to have it cannonball into that uh, you know, weapons emplacement and take out the the weapons turret as well. It's it just seemed a little bit too uh, conspicuous that he was able to do all that considering he couldn't see a single thing. So, um, but yeah, it's I mean again that's the question, right? How many how many Jedi or uh, partial Jedi or failed Jedi are mm-hmm. still floating around in the Star Wars universe at the time mm-hmm. of the events of essentially uh, you know Episode Four, right? And he, I mean, he he definitely sensed what Cassian's mission was, mm-hmm. you sure. know, feeling the darkness yeah. of the force. But you can feel an energy without necessarily being within the, I mean, he says the force moves, right. but you can feel an energy and I feel energies in room when I, when something is happening, right. you know, and so, I, again, I do believe that he has a light force sensitivity. He's definitely very in touch with the force, but as far as sure. a true force wielder, I, I, I don't, I'd love to see more about him to find out. I'd love to see mm-hmm. more about him in general. Him yeah, and, and also, there was a lot of, oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. 
Go ahead, Rob. After, go ahead. I was just going to say there was at the time that the movie came out or you know, prior to the movie coming out, there was speculation by some people that he may be Kanan Jarrus as well, which I don't think, you know, was actually the case at all. But uh, you can totally see why, given his you know lack of vision and, and the fact that he had uh, more than an average uh, tie in with the force. Right. No question about that. Uh, so his companion we just discussed was Baze Malbus, who was played by Zhang Wen. Uh, you know, interesting thing is that uh, Star Wars has never done really well in China for whatever reason. Uh, maybe because uh, they couldn't really get a lot of the original trilogy films because China was pretty shut off during that time period. But never been a big deal. So uh, part of what I mean, obviously, these are great characters that they brought right. in, great actors that they brought in. But they reached into make sure they brought in Chinese actors in part to kind of open up the market a little bit more in China. But they succeeded in, well in bringing in a couple of actors for, and a couple characters that are excellent. Uh, Baze Malbus, you kind of see he's kind of that guy who's disgusted by the whole thing. It's, he was a guardian of the will. Even uh, Chiru mentions the fact that he was one of the most dedicated guardians of all of them until it seems like it kind of got tainted for him when they got pushed out of the temple right. by the empire there. And he's just like, I'm just going to tolerate, but he, you know, you can tell he has a closeness for Chirut. Um, and then of course it just grows and he becomes more involved again as he sees hope rising. Um, I, I, even though he has not a lot of lines, actually, some of them are some of the more impactful right. lines within the whole movie. Exactly. I would agree with that, you know, and kind of to what Rob said a little earlier too, just the fact that um, you know that these two have had, you know, a friendship for a long time. And it's amazing with so few lines and so few episodes in the movie that that was solidified so strongly, so mm-hmm. impactfully. Agreed. Rob, your, your thoughts on Baze Malbus? Uh, I thought he was incredibly cool and I don't know how he made it through the entire film carrying that garbage know, can, the, uh, the, the vacuum cleaner, the vacuum cleaner canister on his back. Um, you know, really he is the anti-stormtrooper. Um, I right. don't think he missed a single thing the entire film. Yeah, right. Uh, and again, it goes to, you know, it, it goes back to that question of, um, how in tune with the force were the guardians of the wills, mm-hmm. um, and you know, to what, to what degree did they uh, have, were they able to have the force kind of work through them? You would assume that they had to meet some standard in order to get that position. Yeah, I would imagine there has to be something. Right. You're not just like, hey, you, we, you need a job. <laughs> right. How, how would you like to be a guardian of the will? Um, yeah, uh, but I, th- I found him to be another a fascinating character. Uh, moving on, uh, Mads Mikkelsen played Galen Urso, who I, I thought that, you know, you didn't get as much of him as you wanted, but you could totally see see like he just wanted to be a father he just wanted to take care of his family he saw what was going wrong with the empire and that they were going there they were getting too extreme and he just didn't want but he also realized he got to this point where it's like well i need to do this but if because they're going to do it either way and but i'm going to find a way to at least give again hope to the rebellion and how to stop this giant planet killing right. super weapon. Right. No, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, that he definitely found in his life that he had to make a significant choice that was a change. And then at another point in time, he had to revert that and figure out how to deal with the circumstances he was put into place. And again, very engaging character that, you, you know, you understood him. You understood what 
you know, he was trying to deal with that he just felt such a burden. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet he was super intelligent and he came through with a different way to accomplish what he was, you know, hoping to be successful at, which would be destroying the Death Star. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Uh, Rob, your your thoughts on uh, Mads Mikkelsen and Galen Erso? I thought it was a really um, kind of in-depth character in the sense that you you kind of felt like you knew more about him than was revealed in the film uh he obviously was a brilliant scientist but and you could see how he'd been working on the death star project up until a certain point but then his conscience kind of mm-hmm. kind of got a hold of him and he realized that something like that couldn't be you know built and not lead to the deaths of um you know billions of people so he you know basically decided that he couldn't be a part of that. And, um, he obviously loved his wife. He loved his daughter, um, and ultimately ended up making a lot of sacrifices to try to keep his daughter safe. Uh, couldn't do much for Lyra. That was kind of a pointless character for me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Have a hard time understanding that, you know, a mother in that situation that's going to abandon her child. Right. Yeah. That's, you know, go do something as selfish and pointless as try to try to take out someone surrounded by stormtroopers. Yeah, exactly. I think that was one of the one, if only real head-scratching moment right. we had through exactly. this film. Was like, no, if you're a really good mother, I mean, I know you love your husband or whatever, but you're going to protect your child in this moment. Right. right you know? Well, especially since you had a plan, you know, already in place that once, if mm-hmm. something were to come up, you know, you, you have a plan in place already. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, unless she just really felt Saw was going to be sufficient. Yeah. And, she would do her best to still try to save her husband. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. It's it's a head scratcher. It's a head scratcher. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, Riz Ahmed played uh, Bodhi Rook, the uh, the pilot, the Imperial pilot who uh, goes and uh, passes along Galen Erso's message to Saw Guerrera in a roundabout, tough, difficult way for him <laughs> to get it there. And boy, and I, I feel for him. But man, you know, um, another uh, interesting character. You don't get a lot of him, but uh, the, the moments you do get from him, you know, you can see he's, you know, a little nervous about the whole situation, but he knows what he want, needs to do is right. He knows his message is clear. Right. He's from Jeddah. So, you know, that, that speaks even more to mm-hmm. him about the whole thing. Uh, I just found him another another great character that I actually would like to know more about as well. Yeah, I would. I agree with that completely. You know, and and just the fact that um, you could tell that he at some point was dealing with struggles of what he felt he was doing was not for, you know, the most worthy cause Mm -hmm. and that he wanted to try to, you know, correct some of that by, you know, getting involved with this very dangerous mission. Right. Agreed. Uh, Rob, your thoughts. Bodie Rook. Um, I thought that he played that character very well. I thought that, um, you know, as opposed to like the Benicio del Toro character Mm -hmm. DJ in the last Jedi where the twitchiness was just kind of contrived. Um, I thought that, you know, the way that Riz Ahmed chose to play, uh, his character was just, he just kind of seemed like a little bit of a fractured, broken guy. He clearly was having that struggle, um, that crisis of conscience that you're talking about. And, um, you know, ultimately, it was Galen Erso who who told him that if he did this mission, if he completed this mission, then it was you know his path to salvation essentially. Right, agreed. Yep. So uh, another great character, and finally we're going to wrap up the characters of this with Forrest Whitaker playing Saw Guerrera. Uh, just I mean, uh, he was on for so little time, mm-hmm. but he captivated the screen whenever he was on. He was kind of showing that 
different side of the more extreme rebellion side. And almost, you know, they even portrayed him out with the the breathing apparatus and so many different parts of him that were metal or robotic or whatever as like almost the rebellion's Darth Vader in many regards. But, you know, showing the, the, the more terrorist version of like because it, it, it's all from a certain point of view right if you were to look at this and see these people attacking the way they are they're very much acting like you would see terrorists right. acting acting today in, in this extremist version of the rebellion i think you'd agree i would i would agree although you know you see at the beginning when you know they are relying on him to raise their daughter that mm-hmm. he you know, and knowing that those characters, you would have to think, okay, he wasn't extreme at that point, you know, and at least not that extreme, right? right. At least not that extreme, um, you know, but that he, you know, developed that. I, I agree with you. He was riveting in that movie. I just, I loved his movements. Um, you know, even just when he tells her, "Come, child." I mean, the way he does his hand gesture, you know, it's unique and it's it's believable with with his personality. And um, like you said, he wasn't on for very long, but you just really were captivated. At least yeah. I was very captivated mm-hmm. by Agreed. him. And he, this wasn't his, at least the character's first appearance. He was also in made an uh, appearance in the Clone Wars mm-hmm. and in Rebels as well. And you could see in that point that he was starting to have a little bit of that you know, extremist edge. And it's just obviously grown with some paranoia and everything else to where he was uh, to this point. Uh, Rob, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's basically what I was going to say as well, which is that he was a character that they explored in a lot more depth within the Clone Wars. He did certainly make an appearance in Rebels. um, But, you know, seeing him kind of in his genesis with the rebellion on Onderon. Uh, and at the time he had a sister named Stila who he, uh, was very much protective of. And, uh, you know, she kind of had her character arc that played into the, the kind of hardened, uh, terrorist like person that he became. But, you know, if you see him within rogue one and that's all you've seen of him, then certainly, you know, you're like, wow, you know, he's kind of, kind of a hardcore character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you get to see what developed him into that throughout the Clone Wars, uh, it he becomes a much more sympathetic character. Yeah, uh, agreed on that. And, you know, obviously he's been pushed to the point of madness by all of this and some, you can kind of call it that if you want to look at it that way. But, you know, the things that he's been through, the things that he's seen, um, it's could, I guess it's not shocking to you that, you know, that would drive many people to that point. Right, right. I mean, to see the you know the loss that you've experienced in your life and then kind of push all this blame into this one entity and feel like that's your mission now is to destroy that entity right Agreed. So we've talked a lot about this already, but let's get just to the synopsis of the film for those of you who have not seen it. And if you haven't, why are you listening right now? Go watch it and then come listen to this. Uh, but the film takes us, uh, it's just to the days right before A New Hope. As a matter of fact, it takes us two minutes right before A New Hope. Uh, the Empire is building, of course, the first Death Star and with the forced aid of Galen Erso. However, he's trying to undermine its construction. Meanwhile, the fledgling Rebel Alliance is learning about its possible existence and looks to bring Jim 
Jin Urso, his daughter, in on board uh, to aid in discovering the truth. Uh, we head to several new planets as we learn the story that was alluded to in the very first Star Wars films scroll. We also learn that there is a little gray on both the Rebellion and the Empire and see possibly the most terrifying scene involving Darth Vader uh, on, on any screen. I'm not talking about Anakin Skywalker. As right. far as Darth Vader... Uh, that was the ultimate Darth Vader right. scene. Absolutely, you know it. It was just definitely the reminder to you, if you, you know, that Darth Vader was a bad dude, and you know, it kind of just brought back the feelings of when you saw the original trilogy, and and feeling, you know, how devastated Luke was when he found out that was his father, and kind of the why. This scene, those scenes, really brought that out. Agreed, Rob. Your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that there's a better scene in all of Star Wars that epitomizes just, you know, what Darth Vader was capable of at, at his prime and um, some of the force abilities that he displayed in that little uh, bender that he goes on at the end of the film. Uh, he basically soaks up blaster bolts right into his gloved hand and then basically shoots it back out at one of the rebel troopers which is a force ability that you don't really see anywhere else um and you know he just mowing through these rebel mm-hmm. fleet troopers in an attempt to get those plans uh it definitely adds to uh you know his intimidation factor and and how awesome that he is and again i mean i think that even feeds into uh you know enhancing the status of the emperor when you realize that this is the guy that Darth Vader, uh, this awesome Sith Lord is, is kneeling to. Right. Completely agree. And interesting is, uh, we have some other friends out there who are doing a, a star Wars themed, uh, podcast, or at least a series of episodes right now. Our good friend, Cassie from Disflix and tidbits is doing a once I, once I watch the star Wars series with our other good friend, tombstone, Josh, who apparently has never watched a star Wars film before. And their most recent episode of that, they went to a new hope. And, um, although, Tombstone Josh knew a little bit about Darth Vader. He was a little surprised at how he thought he was going to be this big, bad, really bad villain. And I think, you know, because of the fact that, you know, we live in the era, I mean, he was big and bad in 1977 or whatever, but the era we live in now where you see so many more villains that are big and bad, that maybe it's kind of uh, tampered down a little bit by the, the, of what you know nowadays but if he was to go and watch this scene he'd understand right. who Darth Vader yes. is and that's one of the things I think that is great that this scene brought across yeah absolutely yeah, and then A New Hope, I mean, Vader is a little bit mitigated by the fact that it seems like kind of Tarkin has him on a leash in that right. film, um, that he's answering directly to Tarkin um, as opposed to being the Emperor's second in command. So, um, you know, in hindsight, that that definitely downplays that character a little bit. Yeah, right. Uh, agreed. And yeah. yeah, I mean, I think part of it is also in the, if you look back at A New Hope and even a little bit to uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, the fact that, you know, he's fighting with this suit on that's, you know, any suit that you build nowadays, well, one, they can use CG now, but, you know, any suit that you build nowadays, they could be more functional, more lightweight. That had to be a clunky suit and hard to see through. And then you're also in, especially in A New Hope, you're battling against Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is an older fellow in his own right. (laughs) There's only so much you could do with that battle to make it work, you know, and, and I, I think they did the best they could with it, but um, you know, it's obviously not going to compare to anything you could do nowadays. Right. So, 
So, uh, moving on, uh, director Gareth Edwards wanted this film to feel like a World War. Uh, this film to feel like a World War II film. I know Michelle talks about that all the time. That's what my PowerPoint's all about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's there's espionage in it. Uh, the scenes on Scarif really feel like it's uh, some of the you know uh, battles from the uh, Pacific part right. of World War II. You know that you would see in Iwo Jima or anything like that. It really has a lot of that film to uh, that feel to it. I, I know you agree. Oh, with absolutely, sure. yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to not think anything other than that sometimes when you're looking at it. But you know, I, I mean, I guess that it it is a war movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, so many of those scenes remind you of a lot of things that in history or growing up as a child that you saw about World War II. Right, agreed. Rob, your thoughts? Well, and that's very much back to George Lucas and the way that he handled the original uh, Star Wars film, which was that, you know, for all the dogfights in space and everything, he had uh, a giant roll of World War II aerial footage that he had kind of pieced together to give the folks that were going to actually create that an idea of how he wanted that to play out. So, uh, again, the cool thing about this film is that Gareth Edwards really went back to approaching it in the same way that, that Lucas had approached the original Star Wars film mm-hmm. um, and, you know, wanted to give that same feel to it, wanted to make it feel like it was specific to that particular era of Star Wars history. Uh, and that's really, for me, a huge part of what made it work so well. I mean, you felt like you were in that exact same universe that you were in in the initial in the original star wars film later you know renamed to a new hope but uh you're seeing characters out of it you're seeing blue milk out of it you're Mm -hmm. seeing you know just the texture and the way that that entire galaxy felt um just seemed very specific to that point in time in star wars history absolutely it was very i want edwards to have so many more films absolutely I know Michelle would definitely agree yes, with that. Yes. Uh, one thing that this film did is it it filled in a lot of gaps of people had questions about you know a new hope the original Star Wars film a new hope. Uh, once how did the rebels get the plans? You know how did right. that happen? Uh, of course, uh, why was the Death Star so easy to take out? I mean, why did they leave this thing like it was just right in there? Like really, that's all you got to do to take down this giant uh, planet killing machine is do that? Okay. Uh, also, what uh, what powered the Death Star? Well, so speculation on what gave it is such huge immense power uh and then also um did the death star have a hyperdrive we, we didn't know that up until this film we right. found that it emerged out of hyperspace so yes uh, obviously the death star uh, did have a hyperdrive so they could put it wherever they wanted within the galaxy in, in not too long a period of time which made it even that much more terrifying that they could rush it to wherever they needed to right so um really interesting stuff any thoughts on that michelle um no i, I I'm still stuck on the fact that this movie was just seconds from A New Hope and how fluid it was, Mm how, um, like you said, it filled in the gaps very, you know, very nicely and in a logical way. There wasn't a lot of those gaps that you felt like, wait, that doesn't make sense or that seemed very contrived. It, It seemed to really be well thought out in terms of how it did answer those questions mm-hmm. and how it then had that same, uh, like I said, fluidity and feel to it. Mm-hmm. You almost feel like every time you watch it, you have to watch A New Hope right afterwards. I know, right? You know, just to, to continue on the story. Uh, Rob, any thoughts on any of that that I was bringing up? Um, I mean, again, like I said, it's it's my second favorite Star Wars film of all time. Uh, I just, I loved everything about it. I thought that it was incredibly well done and, um, you know, we'll get into some of the detail on, on 
some of the things that I think make it really special in just a little bit, but um, it it belongs as a as a huge part of the Star Wars universe. Um, the fact that, like we said, it it takes it right up until uh, the events of the New Hope. I I do know that there was a lot of uh, there was some backlash. Let's say that um, by people who were saying it was just fan service and uh, that it was kind of contrived for that purpose. But frankly, I don't care because right. um, <laughs> it's just a damn good movie. Right. Uh, pardon my <laughs> pardon my French and uh, <laughs> I. I I have no complaints with it whatsoever. I think it was just incredibly well done. I completely agree. Right, right. And I mean, the fact that some of the storyline was created long ago before they even knew they were going to do this as a movie, I think, you know, also led itself to have a lot of the um, strong abilities to be able to fill in some of those gaps. Mm-hmm. Agreed with that. Now, interesting thing, and I was talking earlier about the trailers and how that some of the footage kind of that you saw in the trailers didn't make it to the film. Uh, well, they had to go through some reshoots uh, later on. As a matter of fact, they brought in uh, Tony Gilroy. He was paid $5 million for 12 weeks of work on script revising and these reshoots, especially a lot of the stuff that we were just talked about in the third act. Right. You know, uh, So they brought him on. One interesting thing, and I'm... I'm I, I'm, I apologize because I, I meant to put his name down the notes and I've, I've lost it right there. I don't have it in my notes. But the original writer of this film was talking about how when Disney bought Lucasfilm, uh, he was concerned that they would not be able to kill off everybody at the end. Like it had to have an, you know, more right. of a happy ending. Like you can't just do that with Disney. But Disney was apparently all behind it. So they kind of wrote the story in a different way to begin with, with some of these people surviving. Uh, so they kind of had to redo that as well as some of the uh, notes I've seen. So, um, but yeah, because of these reshoots, because they decided they, the, the movie wanted to have a different tone, a different feel, uh, that's why we saw different things in the trailer from what we ended up seeing in the final finished film. Right, yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Rob, any thoughts? For me, it's just, it's one of those things where despite, uh, for whatever reason that they chose to go back and, and do the reshoots and everything, I think that you can't argue with the fact that the way that the film turned out was exceptional. So, uh, you know, I, I can't argue with the, the need to go back and do the reshoots. Um, but again, it's it's one of those things where, the characters have such great connections. I mean, they hit on all the on all the high points. Mm-hmm. The the characters you feel for them. The story is great. It ties in with the original uh, Star Wars film pretty seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, overall, it just works for me. So I don't have an issue with them going back and kind of um, readdressing some of these issues. Right. Uh, and it. It certainly worked for me. Right. I, I yeah, think we both correct. agree with totally that, agree. for sure. Uh, as far as the critical reception, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the, uh, they gave it an approval rating of 84% based on 420 reviews uh, with an average rating of 7.45 out of 10. Uh, the website's critical consensus reads, quote, Rogue One draws deep on Star Wars mythology while breaking new narrative and aesthetic ground and suggesting a bright, blockbuster future for the franchise end quote uh ign reviewer eric goldman gave the film a nine out of ten saying rogue one is a movie crammed with fan service but when fan service is done well there's little to complain about 
and much to adore. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone gave the film three and a half out of four stars, writing, quote, the spinoff slash prequel has the same primitive, lived-in, emotional, loopy, let's-put-on-a-show spirit that made us fall in love with the original trilogy, end quote. I think that just what we've talked about right. here, we agree with both of those uh, critical reviews. Absolutely. You know, like, bottom line, like what you just said, Rob, too, is that it's just such a great film. Who cares what people are criticizing about it's just amazing film and um it's again i go back to these characters they are so rich and like you said it's it's always fun then to turn on new hope right afterwards and it in in some regards it's like yes that was the beginning and we love that for a lot of those reasons it's just i don't think had as many rich characters as this film did in such a short time that Mm -hmm. there were so many people that you were like oh my god this this character is amazing this Mm -hmm. you know this person is really contributing to this story so intensely Mm -hmm. agreed uh rob any thoughts yeah, it's just funny because, you know, the, the whole fan service thing I always laugh about because when Star Wars gets criticized, it's for not giving the fans what they want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they come up with a film that gives the fans everything they could possibly hope for. And then you get criticized that way. Right. So, I mean, again, it's it's a victim of its own success. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. No one, you know, Lucas more than anyone didn't expect the original star Wars film to be any anywhere near the hit that it was. Um, and as a result, you know, the expectations are set sky high and that's why you've got fans that are, um, you know, so attached to the original trilogy and so hyper focused on, uh, criticizing every little thing with the prequels and sequels. And certainly, you know, they're, they're not perfect films, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, it's, it's Lucas's story to tell. And, uh, you know, it's there's a reason he started with with the original trilogy because that was kind of the meat of of that particular story. Sure. So it's expected that some of these other films are going to have a fall off. But um, I, I love this film and I'll stand by that. Right. Absolutely, I, I agree. And uh, also a big fan of this film is George Lucas, right? Who, who came on and and said that he liked it more because this was after the Force Awakens came out. He enjoyed it much more than the Force Awakens. And to that, director Gareth Edwards said, "His opinion means the world to me. I can die happy now." Yeah. <laughs> <Essentially>. <laughs> Right. is what he said. I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, but essentially what he said about that. I did receive two Academy Award nominations for Best Sound Mixing and Best Visual Effects. Didn't win, but it did get the nominations. As far as box office, Rogue One grossed $532.2 million in the United States and Canada and $523.8 million in other countries for a worldwide total of $1.056 billion. It is the second highest gross... It was the second highest grossing film of 2016, the third highest grossing Star Wars film and the 22nd highest grossing film of all time. Wow. At least at that point. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, it was the top grossing film in the U.S. in 2016. So just that it's obviously talking about how Star Wars is much more popular in the U.S. than, say, China, which right. you know, drives the market so much in some of these worldwide numbers. Sure, so, sure. Um, good stuff. So let's get to some fun facts now that we've kind of gone over this. Unless there's something else that either of you want to touch on before we get to fun facts. No, I don't think so. Rob, anything else? Um, you know, I do just want to tie into the fact that, you know, you mentioned the reshoots and everything, and, and this is probably the best place to tie in some of the information I've got on Michael Giacchino. Um, 
originally this film was supposed to have a composer named Alexander Desplat mm-hmm. uh, doing the music for it, doing the score for it. And because of the fact that they ended up pushing the film due to some reshoots, um, he ended up having to drop out of the film. So Michael Giacchino uh, actually stepped in and he only had four and a half weeks to prepare the score for this film. Wow. Which the the <laughs> second shortest amount of time to compare or to prepare uh, a score for a Star Wars film was Empire Strikes Back. And I believe that was uh, John Williams had about eight weeks to mm. do the score for that and mm. talked about what a breakneck pace that was. Mm-hmm. So, yes. and the other kind of mitigating factor with John Williams is he knew that whole time he was going to be doing that score. So he had right. time to kind of think through them, uh, you know, different themes and, um, you know, kind of have some things in his head ready to work on when he got to that point. Sure. As opposed to Giacchino, who came in and, I mean, he got to watch the film and roughly four weeks later, he had to be on a scoring stage to to actually get that performance captured. Crazy. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that. So uh, not only did he do an exceptional job of creating a, a score that is very much kind of in the vein of what you would expect in a Star Wars film, uh, but he wove in a lot of very subtle things that John Williams had put into the original Star Wars film that a lot of people don't even hear. Um, He had woven those into some of his themes. And that to me, I mean, if you get into any of the shows that do breakdowns on, on the soundtrack and uh, I know typically I don't, you know, plug other shows, but um, rebel force radio has uh, a series that they had done called star Wars oxygen, the music of John Williams. And this is the only time they, they covered a composer that wasn't John Williams uh, and talking about Rogue One. And it, you listen to that episode, uh, you will get a whole new appreciation for this particular film and, and right. the score behind it. Awesome. Yeah. 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 I, I think the score is amazing. Yeah. I, I really do. We were listening as we were just, you know, just watching the credits roll the other time. And you go through the the, the mingle of, you know, new stuff with the original stuff right. that John Williams composed. And uh, it's just all incredible. And we, we're, we are, we're fans of Michael Giacchino anyway, because he's done many other films, not just obviously he did this, mm-hmm. this for a Star Wars film, but he's uh, he's done a lot of work outside of it and for the Disney company itself and uh, just always highly impressed with him and that's even more impressive to know that that's a yeah it's already fun facts that's Rob, right fun facts <laughs> yeah it was cool. actually supposed to be his vacation uh after he did the music for dr strange and he was getting ready to do spider-man homecoming oh, so wow. he was supposed to get about a four-week vacation and uh turned into probably one of the more stressful yeah periods of time in his life i'm sure right. especially when you're you know i mean you're you're kind of following the master and John yes. Williams, you know, <laughs> right? That's got no intimidation that's there. Big shoes to fill, right there. So, yeah, this is the reason that I say that you know, I, John Williams has done amazing work mm-hmm. with the soundtracks and, and the scores for uh, the various Star Wars films that he's been associated with, uh, among all the other wonderful work mm-hmm. that he's done. Um, but you know, he's getting up there in age, and and he's not going to be right. around forever. And that's kind of a scary thought as a Star Wars fan because right. he really, you know, he he is creating the fabric of. Um, kind of what informs the fans on what they're supposed to be feeling in these films and it's great to know that there are a whole generation of composers coming along behind him that right. have you know been so heavily influenced by his work and um, can do such a great job you know even in the Star Wars Battlefront games uh, you know they've got a lot of a lot of themes in those particular games mm-hmm. that are written by other other uh, composers uh, but have that very John Williams feel to them right excellent nice 
So uh, let's get to more fun facts. Uh, Michelle, do you have some fun facts for us? Um, Well, I really enjoyed in the film all the nods to A New Hope, you know, and obviously it was intentional because it is the step before that. But, um, you know, just a lot of fun little things that they had in there, you know, because obviously they, you know, tie in the Death Star and Darth Vader, um, you know, that they took the, you know, they included R2-D2 and C-3PO. They had one of my, you know, top five mouse droids in there as well. (laughs) (laughs) Top five droids from Star Wars. (laughs) Uh, Um, You know, just little things like the blue milk that they tied in there Mm -hmm. and the the guys who end up having a fight with Luke uh, in the cantina Mm -hmm. show up. Dr. Evazan and Pondo Baba. Yes. (laughs) I was going to try to say those names, but it's just those guys. (laughs) Thank you, Rob, for helping. No problem. Pig nose. Uh, Yes, yes. Um, You know, uh, where, uh, what's his, uh, uh, Bail Organa, where he Mm -hmm. talks about his Jedi friend, Mm -hmm. you know, so you kind of know. I mean, like I said, I mean, obviously those are, you know, important pieces to have, although some were a little less important, but I just love, you know, the Easter eggs and all the nods to the very traditional intro to Star Wars. Ties in with Rebels, too. There are many uh, references to Rebels within that uh, film as right, well. Right. Just little light nods, like you need to be listening or looking for them to see it. They're not as out there as many of the ones from A New Hope, but True. lots of little nods to True. Rebels. You know, and I also like the fact that they found some footage from, from A New Hope that wasn't used in the film, and they've found ways to weave it in as mm-hmm. well. So um, I thought that was very, very cool part of it, too. Agreed. Agree, Rob. Do you have any fun facts for us besides the um, great facts you already brought about Michael? Giacchino? Yeah, I mean, you guys have already touched on most of them. Certainly, the rebels um, nods. They have uh, Chopper kind of roll by when the private is coming out to uh, relay that Scarif was under attack uh, with Mon Mothma kind of out on the tarmac. You can see Chopper rolling by in the background right. if you're a Rebels fan. Um, numerous shots that you can see the ghost appearing in, which mm-hmm. is the uh, you know the 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 Rebels gang ship um, from Star Wars Rebels, the Harrison Dula reference on the intercom within the temple on Yavin 4. Um, and then the, I think the footage Michelle was talking about was, you know, Red Leader and Gold Leader from right. the original Star Wars. Um, you get that nice little piece of, uh, you know, kind of candy that they stick out there about how uh Red Five opened up for Luke. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there was a lot of cool, a lot of cool things that they did there. Um, <clears throat> Admiral Radis was a great character. Mm-hmm. He actually, there's a, a flagship, uh, Akbar's flagship, I believe, is named after uh, General Radis mm-hmm. in the original Star Wars trilogy. Um, well, it's so, also in the Last you, Jedi. It's it's the, yeah. The, yeah that the ship that they're on there is the Radis, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Uh, was it the? I'm sorry. It was the Last Jedi, yeah. not the original trilogy. But um, yeah, certainly some really cool references that they kind of tie in there. But um, you know, in general, most of it is music related. And I don't want to get too deep into it on this particular show. I I think I'm just going to leave it at you know go out and check out that mm-hmm. uh, Star Wars Oxygen. I believe it's uh, episode 38. They don't do episodes of it anymore, um, but it's David W. Collins is the uh, 
the guy behind the analysis and he actually has his own show now called the soundtrack show uh, and i'm hopeful that he'll go back and finish his uh, rogue one analysis someday nice. i've offered to have him come on my podcast if he'd ever be so inclined uh, to talk about this stuff but uh, he's a busy guy he does a lot with star wars celebration and he's tied in pretty tightly with wow. uh, lucasfilm so um you know it's just there's it's a whole nother layer of of amazing things that you can see within the star wars galaxy once you start digging into what they're doing with those the, with those soundtracks um and it's totally worth checking out if you're interested in, in music and star wars at all right now i'll, I'll post a, a link to it in our show notes so nice. if anybody wants sure. to check it out uh they they can I'll, I'll definitely get that out there for you for sure so um as far as i've got a couple of fun facts and one is my favorite fun facts of of rogue one and that's the fact that uh, the name of the planet Scarif, apparently according to Gareth Edwards, came to him because he went into a Starbucks, gave his name, and apparently they gave him on a, a coffee cup with the name Scarif on it. And so he was looking for a name for this planet, and so that's how he, he transformed it to Scarif. It's one of my, I don't even know if it's true, but it's a great story yes. one way or the other. I just love that story. Uh, Rogue One is the first Star Wars movie, remember this is before Solo, Mm -hmm. Star Wars story came out, that never mentioned the word Skywalker Mm -hmm. at any point within it. We already talked about, uh, the Jedi are mentioned in this, but there's one, there's no actual Jedi shown, but also they don't even mention the Skywalkers at all. Uh, Rogue One uh, is the first also theatrical Star Wars movie to have dialogue in the closing scene, with the very last word being spoken at the end. As oh. hope. Right. Yeah. Oh. So uh, I found that interesting. Yeah. Of course, it's the first Star Wars film that came out without a scroll. You know, they decided right. that yeah. they're going to leave that for the Skywalker Saga films, at least until the Skywalker Saga is done. I guess they can, you know, reassess after right. that. But uh, they were not going to do these in these standalone films. Mm-hmm. And Solo followed suit with that, not doing a scroll as well. Right. So cool stuff uh, as far as uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. As far as legacy of this film, I don't know. I'm looking forward to finding out more when uh, the Cassian Andor series comes out for Disney Plus and seeing where that goes. I would love to see more backstory on Jin Erso. I would love to see more backstory on Chirrut and Baze. I would love to see more backstory actually on Saw Gerrera. You know, yeah, and seeing what he went through from you know the difference between obviously we saw a little bit of him in Rebels, but how he got from there to this point, and uh, also and of course. Uh, the Clone Wars as well. Um, I, I I think it's a fascinating film. I think it's going to end up being one of the better received films of all the, the Star Wars films right. we've seen. You know, definitely of the new ones. I I just find it fascinating. Any any thoughts on the legacy from either of you to Michelle? Um, I agree with you in terms of those characters and wanting to know and see more about them. And and I think. Um, Personally, I'd like to see that kind of in standalone kind of things rather than just in the mix with things like shows like Rebels, etc. Um, and not that that's bad, but I think just, just because they are so riveting, you know, that I would really want to have a lot of attention drawn to and focus to how they, be, you know, really developed how, what went through their life mm-hmm. to get them to where they are. Exactly. Uh, Rob, any thoughts on uh, the Rogue One's legacy? I think that it's certainly going to have a very long legacy. I think that because of the way that they crafted this film and the fact that it ties in so seamlessly with the original trilogy, um, that it's going to have the same kind of long life that those films had. Um, You know, it just 
thematically and visually uh, it just feels so much like those films and they have been going strong for um you know 42 years at this point and counting um and i think that it's just going to be enhanced by some of the additional content that i'm sure that's going to come out on the disney plus streaming service we know the cassian and um you know Mm -hmm. cassian and k2so are going to be reappearing and who knows if any of these other characters are going to tie in i'd love to get backstory on chira and bays like you were mentioning um and that's certainly something that they could look into uh so you know the whole concept of of the wills in general is something mm-hmm. that goes mm-hmm. back all the way to the second draft of the original Star Wars film. It was supposed to be um, the Adventures uh, of Star Killer. Um, let me see here. What was the uh, Adventures of the Star Killer uh, episode one? The Star Wars was the original uh-huh. title that uh, was part of draft two and it all tied back to some information that had come out of what was called the journal of the wills. So um, they have a lot of stuff that they could explore with that as well. Right. Right. Totally agree. Totally agree. And actually, I'm sorry, I forgot to throw this in with the, with the fun facts, but the wills actually were, um, it was one of the shamans of the wills that had uh, taught Qui-Gon the secret to kind of maintaining his consciousness after death as well. Mm. Yeah, so the, the idea of Force Ghosts right, right. comes from the wills. Yep. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Interesting yep. stuff. So that is another fun fact. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I also find that this film is seriously rewatchable. Like, yes. uh, it's one of those films. I mean, I'm this way with most Star Wars films when they pop on the television. But uh, if Rogue One's on at any point or if there's, I'm looking for a Star Wars film to watch, right. I enjoy watching Rogue One over and over and over again. And I have not gotten sick to this point. And like I said, some of the jokes and some of the other things, they still strike me as funny every single time I watch it. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I, again, I think just because of the richness of the characters and the story, it's not a story that you can, you know, say you could poke a lot of holes in. It's solid. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when you watch it, you can see other little details. Um, again, you know the storyline, but it, it, yeah, very rewatchable mm-hmm. for sure. Agreed. Agreed. So that's our look back at Rogue One, a Star Wars story. We'd love to know what you think about this film. If you have any thoughts on uh, the characters, the film itself, the legacy, whatever it be, please hit us up on social media, through email, whatever. We'd love to hear what you have to say. And Rob, thank you again for, for joining us. We always enjoy your input on all these. It's on everything, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and you should check out his show, the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Rob, please tell our listeners how they can find your show. Yeah, we're basically anywhere you want to listen to podcasts. If you happen to uh, listen on a platform and you can't find us, definitely reach out to us. We can be reached at jtapodcast at gmail.com and on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at jtapodcast, um, often on Twitter. So if you have anything that you want to talk about, definitely uh, hit us up there as well. And we typically put out shows on Tuesdays. Tom often joins me. Michelle occasionally joins me. Uh, we're going to be, I think, working on trying to get a date to talk about the droids. Yeah. Uh, so Michelle has some things that she wants to weigh in on with that, including her little rolling lunch. She's box, already so. given her number five, apparently. So. <laughs> right, right. Spoiler alert. Was that 5A or 5B? Oh, darn. That's right. <laughs> right. You know her too well, Rob. Yes. You know her too well. So definitely check out his show. It's a great show. It's the Star Wars podcast that doesn't make you feel like a jerk. (laughs) 
And by the way, uh, kudos for all the great pins. I've been I've been collecting some of your pins on Pinterest. Good job. I will relay that on to my wife. She is my uh, Pinterest partner in crime. That's her. That's her area of expertise. Nice. So we, we love your I lovely will let wife, him Kim. Now. So yes, yes. Well. And uh, by the way, those those business cards you just created, those are spot on. I'm so <laughs> jealous of those business cards. Those are those are things of beauty for yes. sure. Well, much appreciated. I'm looking forward to getting them in hand here. And, you know, I, I just figured if I had a couple in my pocket and, uh, you know, you got people who are trying to figure out what the Oribesh is out at Disney World or Disneyland uh, and, and their phone's kind of running low on battery. I can't imagine how that would happen in the Disney parks. These <laughs> no, days, no but, I know, right? Uh, you know, it might be handy to have a little Oribesh translator on the back. So nice. I threw that in there for uh, for my personal amusement and hopefully someone else will get some use out of it right so if you run into rob at the disney parks or anywhere in general for that you're gonna have to hit him up for one of those business cards because they are (laughs) awesome they're outstanding and i'm thinking i want to hire him to do our next business cards because there's they're that enjoy tinkering in photoshop (laughs) (laughs) well rob thanks again for joining us so we look forward to having you on next month again star wars remember we're moving into the original trilogy that's right the original star wars film later entitled of course Episode four, A New Hope. Uh, We're excited to break Mm -hmm. that one down as well as we progress through the Star Wars Remembered series. So, Rob. Terrific. I'm just looking forward to talking about the original trilogy with you guys. That's where we really get into the good stuff. Exactly. We'll have a lot of fun. So, Rob, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. You bet. You guys have a great day. You too. So, thanks again to Rob LaBerry from the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Really is a great show. Definitely go check it out. If you have any interest in Star Wars at all, even if you don't feel like you know a lot about Star Wars, he does a really great job of breaking it down, simplifying it. So, you know, even this, the layman person within the Star Wars world can learn about these mm-hmm. things and feel like you know a little more as you go and watch the movies or see the animated series or read the books or whatever the case may be. Right. Yeah. I love his vast knowledge and so he can kind of weave that which, which whatever you're uh, having a discussion on whether it be the original trilogies or some of the, the animated series etc. And how he can really help uh, get a better understanding of how that all weaves together. I, I really find him mm-hmm. riveting. No, so he's, he's just a really great guy. He and his wife, Kim, are just two of our very best friends and they're just really, really wonderful people. And yeah. we're looking forward to we'll seeing they're actually coming out to Disneyland here in uh, just less than a couple months now. And we're very excited to yeah. visit with them uh, again very soon. But let's move on away from Star Wars. Well, not really, actually. We're going to stay kind of within the Star Wars as we move to our Disney stories of the week. Every week, there's so many Disney stories. We try to get to at least a few of them to kind of round out our show. And this week, we're going to start with, well, there have been changes to the reservation policy for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at the Disneyland Resort. This straight from the Disney Parks blog. To make your trip planning easier and give you more flexibility, Oga's Cantina and Savi's Workshop now offers advanced reservations. As you know, before this, you would kind of make a reservation for either of those spots at, like they would open up at 7 a.m. on right. the day of. So that's how you do Now they're kind of going to make it similar to uh, the ADRs so mm-hmm. any, uh, when you're going out to the parks for any of your dining reservations. They're going to open it up uh, on a pre re-reserve basis Uh, so right now you can make the reservations for up to 14 days in advance soon they're going to move that for Ogas and Sabis it will be the same 60 day reservation process they currently offer for uh, the restaurants and experiences requiring reservations Uh, for more information and to make reservations visit Disneyland.com slash Cantina or Disneyland.com slash Sabis workshop 
hand-built lightsabers. You can just go to the uh, Galaxy's Edge website right. on Disneyland, and that might be easier for you, but that's how you can find it. Or you can also go to the Disneyland app, and that will help you out along the way as well. Right. It's interesting how they are trying different styles of doing uh, access to the Galaxy's Edge park and and how to get into things or reserve things and working out all those kinks and bugs so that they have, you know, a very smooth process when they have their opening at Hollywood studios at right. Walt Disney world. Yeah. It's really interesting. We said this really to begin with how this was going to kind of be a work in progress as they went through this, right. see kind of a trial and error process, seeing what works, how they can make it better. And we've seen them constantly changing things as they move along and they've decided like well you know let's give people the more opportunity to know going in that they they can get into this this land so you know if they're planning a trip 60 days out whatever the case may be they know for sure they're going to be able to get into star wars galaxy's edge if they make these reservations exactly so um i like that and uh, you know the only problem was is that we were thinking about yesterday going and just (laughs) taking a spur of the moment run uh, in the evening because we haven't seen star wars galaxy's edge at night yet so we were thinking about going uh but the reservations were all gone and we're like do we want to go all the way up there and would that the only thing we want to do and maybe not even get into star wars galaxy's edge so we just kind of decided to delay it to a date in the future Future, we're gonna go out there and visit in the evening to check out star wars galaxy's edge at night so but interesting stuff uh let's move on but we're gonna stay at the disneyland resort we now know when you'll be able to get your holiday on at the happiest place on earth or more the merriest place on earth. <laughs> uh, this again from Disney Parks blog. The Disneyland Resort will once again transform into the merriest place on earth as guests begin their holidays here November 8th through January 6th. The fe- this festive season will include many holiday traditions, including cheerful entertainment, yuletide treats, specialty merchandise, sparkling decor, and seasonal transformations of select attractions. We've said this in the past. Mm-hmm. I still believe it to this day. Although they're doing better job at Walt Disney World, and yes, there are a lot of great holiday decorations at the Walt Disney World Resort. If you're going to go square foot by square foot of decorations, and who does it better, uh, Disneyland? I think the whole Disneyland Resort, including Disney California mm-hmm. Adventure and Disneyland Park, does a better job of their holiday decorations encompassing, you know, again, square foot by square foot. Right. I would agree. You know, first of all, the number of attractions with the holiday overlays is is fantastic and, and very a little bit more expansive here on the West Coast. Um, and when you look at California Adventure, the especially in Cars Land, the uniqueness of their holiday decorations. I agree with you that, you know, um, here is, you know, square foot by square foot comparison. They do a great job here. Yeah, and obviously uh, we've seen some things where Walt Disney World is going to be upping their game. They're adding more to Animal Kingdom this year. So we'll see how we're actually going to be out there in December. So we'll be able to see how it compares now. But coming into this, Disneyland had taken a slight lead in their their, uh, holiday decorations, in my opinion. Again, uh, just measuring pound for pound, not, you know, looking at, of course, there are going to be more decorations than Walt Disney World. It's right. just that much larger. Exactly. But, um, so moving on with this story, at Disney California Adventure Park, World of Color Season of Light will dazzle with its holiday-themed spectacular of lights, lasers, water, fire, and hundreds of fountains bringing animation to life. Festival of Holidays returns, which we love. Mm-hmm. More chance to oh, see yes. up all sorts of holiday foods. We love that. Um, and that will also have, will have the sounds and tastes of Christmas, 
slash Navidad, Hanukkah, Diwali, Kwanzaa, and Three Kings Day going on January 3rd through January 6th, if you're happy to be heading out there during that time. Uh, for the residents of Cars Land, two attractions rely on holiday magic to transform <laughs> into Luigi's Joy to the World and Mater's Jingle Jamboree. We love those oh, of holiday those layovers. Right. Yes. At Disneyland Park, holiday magic shines brightly with the glistening Sleeping Beauty's Winter Castle. Returning entertainment includes Believe in Holiday Magic, Fireworks Spectacular, and a Christmas Fantasy Parade. In addition, one-of-a-kind seasonal transformations will once again take over It's a Small World Holiday and Haunted Mansion Holiday, which actually starts, kicks off the Halloween season. Right. It actually is not that far away. I know. It's coming up before you know it out at it, uh, Disneyland. That's fun. Uh, which are, those are just great, great holiday layovers. Yeah. We love them both. Looking forward to them. Yeah. It's very exciting. It is. Holiday season's coming around. I know. Yeah. And also, Disneyland does such a great job with their Halloween decorations as well. Right. Just so good. Definitely. It's not even close. I mean, you can argue if you want about the the Christmas time slash holiday decorations, Walt Mm -hmm. Disney World versus Disneyland. Uh, Halloween, Disneyland blows the doors (laughs) off of Walt Disney World as far as what they do, at least up to this point. Right. So. Anyway, uh, let's move on. We've got one more story before we wrap up our Disney stories of the week. And it's just a really quick one. It was announced today that Walt Disney Company, their films broke this weekend. They're all the record that they already held for the most box office combined of their films. They were before it was $7.61 billion, which they set just last year, through, uh-huh. of course, all the way through December. Wow. They just passed this week the $7.67 billion mark. We are just wrapping up July, heading into August. We still have you know, Frozen 2 coming right. out. We still have Maleficent 2. We still have... Oh, there's uh, many other films, yes. including... Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. They're going to blow the doors off of their record that they set last year. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty impressive. So, yeah. Not surprising, but pretty impressive. I mean, when you look at the box office for all these films, you know, you start, of course, with Avengers Endgame, which set the, uh, the box office total for all films record and then you know you throw in Captain Marvel which did over a billion uh, Spider-Man Far From Home which has done over a billion I believe Aladdin passed a billion recently uh, The Lion King was a you know whatever you thought about the film it was a box office smash right. for the first couple weeks and all these other films uh, Toy Story 4 of mm-hmm. course doing great uh, it's just been and we knew this going in when we saw this slate of films coming out we're right. like wow this is going to crush at the box office yes. and sure enough it's coming to fruition yeah yeah. Very exciting. So that's it for our Disney stories of the week. But uh, ooh, Michelle, do you have something you want to share? Yeah, just a, a couple things to let people to to be aware of and take a look at. Um, so right now, well, actually, uh, tomorrow in our time right now, so July 29th through August 18th, um, annual pass holders for Disney World can have a couple extra perks. Ooh, so, I love extra perks, I especially know. for pass holders, because <laughs> we just happen to be pass holders. So during that, that time span, and again, July 29th through August 18th, they can get reserved seating for the concert series at American Gardens Theater. Uh, you go to the Japan side of the mm-hmm. entryway and show your um, your annual pass holder and your ID. You can get special holding uh, reserve seating there. You get a 10% discount at Fife and Drung and Block and Hans, including on alcohol. 
during that time frame. So again, July 29th through August 18th. And then also going a little bit longer than that, July 29th through August 28th, there is a special secret treat. Secret. Yes, secret. Secret. (laughs) For annual pass holders at Sunshine Seasons inside the Land Pavilion. Mm, So mm -hmm. you just have to ask for the secret menu item. Secret, secret. I know, isn't that cool? And you have also, to have a code word. <laughs> just you have to have your. I'm sorry, pass. I guess this rogue one stopped the espionage. I know, and all that. right? Like, uh, exactly. And um, is it Stardust? Is that the <laughs> code word you need? Well, no, you don't need the code word. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but you do need the proper credentials. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> right? I like that. Um, and then lastly, that they've uh, announced a lot of their uh, New Year's Eve celebrations that are going on there. And mm-hmm. I won't go through all of them. You can go to Disney Parks blog for that. But that just came out uh, this week on July 25th, where they talked about all the different uh, parties that they're going to be have to ring in the new year. Yeah, so many cool parties I if know. you're out there for New Year's. A lot of Year's. nice choices. We were talking about, we're not going to be out there for New Year's unfortunately, but we were like, wow, that sounds cool. Whoa, that's nice. And Whoa, that's expensive, but that sounds really cool. Yeah, <laughs> I think they have a little bit more variety now of some price ranges. Yeah. I mean, none of them cheap, but I mean, I think they do have a little bit more uh, variety now as well. well yeah, I, I think if you're going out there for New Year's, you're kind of looking for an extra way to celebrate. Right. And, you know, this is one of those things. I mean, yes, you can always and kind of, you know, do it on your own and figure out how you want to celebrate on your own. But, you know, sometimes it's nice to just have some of these things taken care of for you so you don't right. have to worry about it. You don't have to think about it. It's exactly. Just, it's done and you can, you'll can you pay that extra price. And like you said, there is a wide uh, range of prices that you can look for depending on what kind of party you're looking for. Exactly. You know? So right. good stuff. So, uh, again, Michelle brings great stories. And <laughs> other thing that she brings is great tips. Michelle always has the best tips. We never wrap up a show without giving you some tips that might help you on your trips to the parks, whether you're going on Disney Cruise Line, whether you're doing Run Disney, whatever the case may be. And we always know Michelle has the very best (laughs) tips. So let's get right to it. Here is Michelle's tip of the week. You're just so kind. So kind, sweetie. Um, So my tip actually could be applied to any of those things, whether you're talking about a... uh, trip to the parks or on a Disney cruise or on a run Disney. And that is, especially if you have um, kids that you're bringing along, but it could, this tip can go for adults as well is to create a daily countdown activity. Um, So one of the ones that we've used is that you can uh, take like a Mason jar and put an M&M in for every day from that point to the when the trip is happening. So it can be the countdown that way. If you want to be a little more health conscientious, you could do almonds or something like that. Or you can come up with other types of, of your own uh, countdown activities to Advent do. Advent calendar right. of some sort that you put together. Exactly. So whether you're doing it for someone else or your own child or uh, a spouse or even for yourself, it's just a fun way to, to help build that anticipation that a fun trip is about to happen. Especially if you're like trudging through, I mean, for yourself, do it for yourself. Even if you're, you know, you're trudging through work and it seems 
don't seem to be going your way or you're having problems with whatever your boss got on you or right. whatever. It's nice to have something that you can look up on your desk right. or just pop up on your computer and it's like, it's only 21 days till you're on vacation right. or whatever. Exactly, and it yes. brightens your day every time you open one of those up or see something that kind of makes you think like, oh, we're counting down to it. It's coming up. It'll be here before you know it. Exactly. And, uh, you know, why just have the magic be only when you're at the resort, right? You're at the parks. Have it extend out for weeks before right. as you're as you're going into it, so you can you can enjoy the magic all you know all year round right. if you really want to. You know, you start planning. And so one of the best ways to get rid of the Disney blues is to start planning your next trip. Right. You know? So I <laughs> think uh, you can start your next advent calendar right from there. Whatever, right. Even if exactly. it's two years off, go ahead, count down for two years. Yes. Whatever the case may be. And it's a fun way for kids to be able to see you know as that. Uh, you know, jar begins to empty more and more that it's getting closer mm-hmm. and, you know, has that have um, that ability to kind of comprehend that, hey, the trip is coming up and that's cool. Right. Agreed. I think that's a great tip. Again, Michelle's tips, <laughs> always the very, very best tips. Now for my really not even secondary, this is like bottom of the barrel tip. Um, I'm going to actually rehash a tip, but it's my favorite tip and it's an important tip. And that is, we uh, we talked about it earlier in the show. Look, we're wrapping up July. We're heading into August. It reached here in Southern California in the mid 90s out at Disneyland Park mm-hmm. this week. It's been hot for months and almost is all the time year round at the Walt Disney World Resort. Please, people, don't forget to hydrate. Right. <laughs> uh, it's just so many easy ways to do this. You can bring bottles of water or, or you know, better yet, even bring your own water bottle into the park and you refill it mm-hmm. at many different locations. At Disneyland, they recently added some more uh, water filling stations. We saw one, as a matter of fact, when we were in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge as yes. we were leaving Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. They have a water filling, uh, water bottle filling area there, but they're adding more in Tomorrowland and a couple other places in the park. They're adding them. They have one, I know, I believe it's at Flight of Passage in Pandora. They have one, but they have them mm-hmm. in a couple other places right. around the Walt Disney World Resort and they're adding more there as well. But even if you don't bring a bottle of water or a water bottle to fill there, just go up to any place where they have fountain drinks, whenever any quick service restaurant and just ask for a cup of ice water. They give it to you completely free. Uh, it just helps so much. I mean, your body really needs that water to make it through, especially in this heat and humidity and such. And it, it really is, you will wear down if you're not keeping hydrated at the parks. You will not only, you'll get crankier faster, you'll get obviously more exhausted faster, you could get sick easier. Right. There are just so many things that hydration are very important for. So, you know, take that extra step. You know, even if you're not thinking you're thirsty, just go ahead when you have a chance to get some water in you and and do it because there may be times where you easy for you to do it. So take advantage of every step and it really will help you in the long run. We all get the after Disney bug a little, not all the time, right. but afterwards. Um, staying hydrated helps fight that in many ways. Being hydrated yes. helps keep your health at an optimum level all the time. You should do it at home, but definitely do it when you're in the park. Absolutely. And that that is really a key thing. And, and you want to have... you. You want to get the most out of your fun at a Disney park. And, you know, one of the ways to do that is to make sure that you aren't getting dehydrated and because that's just going to affect your mood, like you said, how you feel. And, you know, it decreases that enjoyment. So keep it up. It's also, you know, a good way to stop and, and take a breather and, and have, you know, some water to hydrate and, you know, get that energy level back up. Mm-hmm. Agreed. 
Agreed. So, good I, tip. I, thank Very you. Very good tip. Again, it's a rehash important of something tip. I've mentioned several times because it is several one hundred. of the most important <laughs> things to me. Uh, but uh, I figured right now as we're heading into really the dog days of summer when it's really going to get hot right. uh, both on both coasts that it's probably something to revisit and many of you maybe you know you may have just picked up this podcast a few weeks ago for all I know and you maybe have not heard me do that so right. sometimes I like to rehash what I feel are important tips right. that and I was lazy this week and couldn't find another one yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no it is a good tip and, and not just here uh, you know of course anywhere but I, I know that I was reading this past week with the heat wave going on in Europe that at Disneyland Paris, they actually had to, um, you know, some of the floats with some of the uh, characters that are in costume and they they were, they're kind of heavy costumes Mm -hmm. that they had to keep them from the parade because it was going to put them at risk because of the heat. So they're out there for more than what the normal, like 30 minutes that they get. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, um, it's a good tip for everybody. Stay hydrated. Stay hydrated, ladies and gentlemen. Please, yes. please stay hydrated. Good so, tip. Thank you. Uh, that's it for this week's show. Next week, we're going to have another guest. It's going to be three weeks. Is it three weeks in a row? Three weeks yes. in a row with us where we're going to have another guest join us. And we're so excited for this one. We've already been on their show and they're going to join us for our show. It's uh, Keenan and Rachel from Part of Our World podcast. We, you know, we have so much fun with them on social media and we had a great time with them on their podcast, which is another wonderful show that you should check out. Uh, We're going to be bringing them on our show. We're going to be talking a little bit about Walt Disney World in a little different way that I think you're all going to have some fun with. (laughs) (laughs) What? What's that? What? No clues here. Um, Yeah, no, it's, they're wonderful. We enjoy, you know, we're big fans of their podcast and enjoy their podcast. So, you know, you it's good to to check out theirs. Although we're both Disney podcasts, we cover things differently, different types of information. And so um, there is no redundancies there. Mm -hmm. It's just a fun group. And we love that they're going to be on our podcast and honoring us with with that, with their... uh, their engagement with us here. Right. Yes. We, uh, we've mentioned several different shows and blogs and stuff on our show today and, and definitely including Keenan and Rachel on part of our world podcast. Uh, we don't mention them if we don't like them, if they're not people that we enjoy right. uh, interacting with social media wise, if it's not shows that we eventually either have already had on our show mm-hmm. or intend to have right. in the future and possibly be uh, having us on theirs if they're so willing. Um, we love all these people and they're, they're, there's a good reason why we mention them on our show. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, thanks for joining us this week. Please, I just like with all these uh, other podcasts and bloggers that we've mentioned, uh, follow them on social media as well. If you follow us, uh, please find us at Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. And if you ever want to reach out to us for any reason, you can email us at Hyperion Adventures Podcast at gmail.com. And we really would appreciate it if you could take a moment and listening to our show is to give us a rating uh, and even better, a re- little review, but most importantly, also tell a friend. Yes, please tell a friend about us. That's the easiest and best way to get the word out about this podcast. A review is wonderful. I know it takes a little time, but that's great. Even just a rating, if you just click the stars, um, that is great Very as well. Yes, we appreciate We've gotten some wonderful reviews to this point um, and any more that we get, we, we appreciate them all. Thank you so very much of course the best place to find this show is on our website HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com 
please, if you want to hear more from us, sign up for our new newsletter. That's going to be our new newsletter wow. that's going to be coming out here in the very near future. Uh, you can also, of course, find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartMedia, lots of places to find us. So, uh, thank you again for joining us for another episode of the Hyperion Adventures podcast. We look forward to sharing some time with you again next week. But until that time, I'm Tom. I'm Michelle, and we hope that you have a magical week.